Welcome to the Urban Legends Hotline, where we investigate the mysterious tales of your hometowns and stories passed through the old lockered halls of your schools to get to the haunted heart of the urban legends that you grew up hearing and maybe even telling. Today we are covering the ghost children of Munger Road. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and from one friend of a friend to another, this is American Hysteria. Okay. Hi, Chelsea. My name is Lauren. Um, I'm really excited about this, but also I'm 37 years old and I have not thought about this urban legend in a really long time. So it's going to be a very, very bad retelling. I'm so sorry. But I grew up and then moved away from and then came back to the western suburbs of Chicago. So I'm a full-fledged townie at this point. So the town I live in now is called Geneva. And there's a road that goes through like St. Charles area. It's a super long road called Munger Road. And it goes to this like really weird small town called Wayne. Um, anyway, as the legend goes, and as I remember being told when I started driving at 16, that if you go to Munger Road at night, there are some train tracks there. And apparently at some point in history, there was a school bus that got stopped on the train tracks and it got hit by a train. And as a result, all of the kids that were on the bus died. Um, and I'm sure there's like more to this, but that's like what I remember in terms of like the gist. So as the urban legend goes at night, in order to scare the shit out of yourself, you're supposed to drive to the train tracks. <laughs> this is terrible now that I'm like an adult you're supposed to turn off the lights of your car ideally your car is supposed to be really dirty and you park on the train tracks which is incredibly stupid and you wait and if you wait long enough the ghosts of the children who died in the bus accident will appear outside of your car and you can tell because they'll put little handprints on the dirt in your car and I think actually you're supposed to put the car in neutral potentially too, because they will push you off of the train tracks. So like the children are like murdered ghosts, but they want you to not die. So they're like helpful ghosts potentially. And no, I did not park my car there in the middle of the night because honestly, um, again, I'm a baby and I think my, my parents would have murdered me in cold blood if they had found out I was doing that. And I was more scared of them than of the ghost children. Weirdly, there was a like an indie movie made about it um, in like 2011. The movie was made, from what I recall, by people that actually grew up around here. So I've never seen the movie because I'm a giant baby and I'm too scared to do it. But um, it's supposed to be an accurate or at least a good retelling of the urban legend itself. Hello, my name is Nick Smith, writer and director of the 2011 feature-length film Munger Road. Munger Road is real, and the railroad crossing that is haunted does in fact exist, and the legend has been around for many decades. The urban legend is that a bus full of kids got stuck on Munger Road and was struck by a train, a horrific accident that killed everyone on board. Now, if you venture out at night to the train tracks with your car and lace your bumper with baby powder or flour, 
You stop your car on the tracks and wait. In the dead of the night, your car will be pushed off the tracks, and when you check your rear bumper, you'll see little handprints in the powder, supposedly from the ghosts of the little kids trying to save you from suffering a fate similar to theirs. I grew up nearby Munger Road in St. Charles, Illinois, and of course partook in this thrill many, many nights. A lot of people asked me, after watching the movie, if I believe in the urban legends or ghosts. We shot for three nights on Munger while in production, and each subsequent night something weirder and weirder happened, and we were a crew of about 60 people. We were happy to get off that road and move on to the next location. (laughs) Check out Munger Road. It's streaming now on Amazon. The urban legend that we're exploring today about the helpful ghost children that rose out of a tragic school bus train collision on southeast Illinois' Munger Road has been told for decades, even though such an accident never actually took place there. And it is far from the only spot said to be haunted in this particular manner. Many other so-called gravity hills exist at railroad crossings, on long rural roads and cement bridges around the nation. Places where spirits allegedly magically push cars uphill and out of harm's way, leaving their little handprints in the dust or powder on the back of the vehicle as proof. According to our research, similar stories are told in Lewisbury, Pennsylvania, El Paso, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, Southton, Texas, Marksdale, Texas, Lewis County, Missouri, Jasper, Indiana, Moore Park, California, Brentwood, California, Antioch, California, Klamath Falls, Oregon, Huntington, New York, Shreveport, Louisiana, Five Points, Alabama, Cleves, Ohio, Flora Township, Illinois, Bartlesville, Oklahoma, Freeman, Missouri, Cumming, Georgia, and Prosser, Washington. And those are only the beginning, as versions extend worldwide as well. The tales told in these towns are, by necessity, active urban legends, stories that center around what we in the field of folklore call legend tripping, the secular, often teenage ritual where participants head to a wholly haunted place to test their guts and test their very reality to see if there really is something beyond the veil and often to party in the shadow of death. At this point, I'd better say that the team at American Hysteria in no way recommends parking your car on railroad tracks for any reason. So, for this episode, we're going to do our best to break down the legend of the ghost children of Munger Road by looking into the historical school bus accidents that really happened and how the media presented them in exceptionally gory detail. And we'll look at the many unnerving official disaster preparedness projects, mock school bus collisions that occurred near Munger 
road, ones that involved local teens acting out the same tragedy at the heart of the urban legend, covered in fake blood and moaning for their mothers. Not only that, but I will also explore a local version of this legend myself, heading all the way out to a lonely rural road in Washington state, said to be haunted by similar ghosts, to see if they'd be willing to save me, too. More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. And now, back to the show. Though Munger Road is our subject today, the most widely known version of this urban legend comes out of San Antonio, Texas, at a railroad crossing between Villamain Road and Shane Road. Locals and legend trippers have been telling stories of a school bus accident and the ghost children it produced since at least the 1970s. And it appears to be the mecca for this popular nationwide urban legend. Every Halloween, the place is swamped with cars lining up to try out the tale for themselves, some even traveling from out of state, with local stores selling out of baby powder and even stocking up extra for the evening. Part of what makes the legend of this particular location so compelling, so memorable, so seemingly true, is that nearby there are several small streets said to be named after children who died in a crash now long forgotten. 
Bobby Allen, Cindy Sue, Laura Lee, Nancy Carroll, and Richie Otis, all names that seem to encompass that 50s throwback feeling that many urban legends have attached to them. This little extra piece of the story makes it feel all the more legitimate, but just like Munger Road, there are zero records of a school bus train accident occurring on these San Antonio tracks. And when it comes to those memorialized children, the truth is that the developer of the area simply named new streets after his children. But obviously, accidents like this did happen, especially in the first half of the 1900s, when trains were moving faster and rickety, underregulated school buses began to gather up rural kids and haul them off to mandatory schooling for the first time, putting their lives in the hands of bus drivers that parents simply had to trust. Folklorists seem to agree that the most likely real accident that helped to form this national urban legend came out of a town near Salt Lake City, Utah, called Middale. It was a Thursday morning, December 1st, 1938, and a local school bus was collecting 38 students from the rural area to bring them to Jordan High School. It was the very first winter storm of the season, and the bus faced both a heavy dumping of snow as well as a thick fog that had rolled in earlier in the morning. It was so difficult to see the road that the driver, a man named Farrell Silcox, had to stop the bus and open the doors to try to see where he was going. He just so happened to stop on the railroad tracks without seeing or hearing an approaching train made up of more than 80 cars, nicknamed the Flying Ute. It was traveling at between 50 and 60 miles an hour, faster than normal since the crew was trying to make up for time lost caused by the storm. The thick fog and snow also obstructed the view of the conductor, and at 8.43 a.m., the train made contact, absolutely demolishing the side of the school bus. The wreck was astoundingly brutal, leaving 24 of the teenagers, ages 12 to 18, dead and 15 severely wounded. Newspaper stories on the crash were wired across the nation, with each state printing dozens, if not hundreds, of articles showing photographs of the mangled bus, of the hysterical parents, and of bodies being loaded into trucks. Journalists were telling this story with such gruesome detail that I hesitate to even read the following account, but it feels necessary to get the full weight of what Americans were hearing about. Quote, Dozens of stunned and grief-stricken parents and relatives paraded the length of the train, lifting blankets and coats and papers from the bodies of the dead strewn about, hoping to find their children. 
Sobs and shrieking and crying of all these could be heard in their automobiles after discovering their mangled children. Volunteer parties walked up and down the tracks to pick up the torn remains scattered about. Many of the bodies were mangled past recognition. They were along the tracks the whole length of the train. Apparently, in San Antonio, the coverage lasted 10 days in a row, perhaps influencing the legend that still exists almost a century later. This tragedy did not happen in vain, and it was actually a major catalyst for changes in railroad and bus safety. National regulations for train crossings grew far more strict, including required mechanical crossing arms and laws that required bus drivers to fully stop their buses, open their doors and windows, and make sure that they are safe to cross. They also required school buses to be painted their now signature National School Bus Glossy Yellow due to the fact that yellow is noticed by the human eye 1.24 times faster than any other color, and it is the easiest color to see in dim light. But these regulations did not entirely stop these types of accidents from happening, and it continued to take these type of tragic incidents to jar local governments and companies to put more and more safety regulations on buses and trains. For example, in 1955 in Spring City, Tennessee, 10 teenagers were killed and 30 injured in a crash that would inspire the still famous train safety slogan, Stop, Look, and Listen. Over the next decade, there were at least four major train bus collisions that killed dozens of kids and injured dozens more, if not hundreds. From the 1960s to the year 2000, I was able to find at least 20 examples of school buses being hit by trains, many full of similar graphic descriptions, much worse even than the ones you heard earlier, all covering the devastating effect that these tragedies had on each small town that suffered this ultimate loss. A pattern I started to notice is that most of the comments left on paranormal websites and message boards specifically dedicated to the Munger Road ghost children reminisce about legend trips which occurred in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s. Perhaps this is due to the demographic of people who would be commenting on paranormal posts on obscure message boards, but I also wonder if another accident that happened far closer to Munger Road in the mid-1990s could have acted to reinforce the urban legend. In a town called Fox River Grove, Illinois, just a 30-minute drive from Munger Road, another very serious train school bus collision happened in 1995. This one left seven students of Cary Grove High School dead and 21 injured. 
this was one of the worst accidents of its kind in American history, and the news played footage of the mangled bus and grieving parents for weeks, just as the printed news had done 60 years earlier with the Salt Lake City crash and every crash that came after that. Just a couple days after this collision, while the town was still in the midst of their community mourning, local investigators spent a day recreating aspects of the accident in front of a large group of local onlookers, blasting back and forth the same train from the accident that still had the large dent made by the impact. And the eeriness of that scene, watched by many in the town and recorded by the local news, must have weighed on the hearts of the town, especially as investigators drove in a fully intact school bus to the accident site. Graphic test footage of a staged crash demonstrates the deadly results of a train colliding with a bus. While scouring old newspapers from all over the country looking for clues to this urban legend, I found something else that I couldn't help but spend a whole two days obsessing over. Detailed, cheery reports of what are called mock accidents, manufactured scenes of death and injury and destruction that prepare local emergency crews and hospital staff for mass casualty incidents. In addition to mock car accidents and mock plane crashes, one of the most popular scenarios for these macabre performances are the kind of school bus train collisions that we've been talking about in this episode. It goes like this. A profoundly smashed school bus is brought onto the site and laid beside the track as if it had just been hit, Often, bus drivers from around the state watched the scenes unfold from temporary bleachers, learning what could happen if they themselves weren't careful enough. But there is so much more to these mock accidents than that, more theatrical attention to detail that truly surprised me. We can go back to one of the first drills of this kind, way back in October of 1966 in Nina, Wisconsin, just three hours from Munger Road. The local newspapers printed a story all about this city-sanctioned, dramatically manufactured practice run and how they brought the realism needed to really immerse the training emergency crews. Quote, Members of the boys' brigade played victims, and the blood used was made of catsup. The acting was tremendous, moans and screams emitted from the victims. They hung from trees, over signs, and laid on the tracks. They staggered about. One carried a dead body on his back. A television cameraman arrived and, unaware of the mock disaster, attempted to find a reason for the numerous bodies strewn about. He was told it wasn't real and replied, you're kidding. 
A concerned citizen assisted with the loading of victims for one half hour. After detecting a catsup odor, he inquired if the disaster was real. Told it was not, he left the scene. That's right. In all these mock accidents, local teens, college students, and sometimes even elementary school-aged kids played victims in various states of injury and death so that EMTs and hospital staff could face the event as accurately as possible. In fact, there is even a special mock morgue set up for the teenage actors that didn't survive. Local Boy Scout groups, college classes, drama clubs, and 4-H clubs were just some of those called upon to perform this civic duty. And most seemed to do so quite willingly. In 1964, in Decoin, Iowa, the local news reported, quote, Makeup crews spent about an hour before the disaster molding plastic to represent deep lacerations, soaking torn clothing with blood, molding broken animal bones for leg fractures, and rubbing ashes on scrapes and bruises. In 1977, in Battle Creek, Michigan, some participants literally bathed in fake blood before arriving to play their parts. One kid was given a mouthful of fake blood that he then poured out on an attendant's white uniform. Another student was made up with a long piece of wood sticking out of her bloody forehead. Several young women went into fake labor, pillows stuffed under their shirts, one yelling, Help! My baby! You don't care about my baby! In 1978, in Centralia, Illinois, those putting on the mock accident either forgot to inform police of the drill or police did not get their messages. And they believed the accident to be real until they came onto the scene, angrily telling reporters that they had to leave a bar fight in order to reach allegedly dying children. In 1994, in the town of Bluffton, Ohio, crews scattered clothes, shoes, gym bags, hats, bus seats, and window glass across the length of the train next to the destroyed bus. And then another 2005 mock crash in New Washington, Ohio, featured an actor playing a bus driver screaming from inside the wreckage, Oh God, I can see my bones. I'll never be able to use my legs again. God help us. Now here is some actual audio from a mock accident training video where you can hear the teenagers and their very decent acting. Dad, anywhere else? I'll breathe my ribs and my ankle. <laughs> okay, how old are you? I'm 17. <laughs> can you hear me? Dad, please help her. We will. We will. Grab my friend. Oh my In many of these scenarios, Locals had no idea that this mock accident was taking place, and the police received desperate call after call, trying to get help to the scene. 
Now, I was unable to find any official record of all of these mock accidents and where and when they happened, so I had to go off only what I could find in old newspapers. Though there are plenty of examples of these drills occurring in various states, I did notice that the majority of the reports I could find occurred in locations within a few hours of Munger Road. Now, I can't claim that there is a direct connection here, but I will say that there's something very striking to me about a bunch of kids, teenagers, and college students, the main propagators of urban legends, acting out a Halloween haunted house-esque tragedy, using catsup as blood with cracked animal bones protruding from their creatively twisted limbs, moaning and screaming, well, I imagine, trying to keep from laughing, acting out the very heart of an urban legend that they may or may not have heard. So now that we understand some of the backstory, it's time for me to get out into the field. It's time to challenge my teenage self and make the long drive out to a lonely road in Prosser, Washington, to test a Gravity Hill legend not unlike the one found at Munger Road. Train tracks not included. More after this. And now, back to the show. Okay. We're going to go into this truck stop and try to get some baby powder. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Heading out now, uh, about five minutes away from the Gravity Hill in Prosser, Washington, that I am hoping will provide me with some firsthand paranormal experience with ghost children not unlike those found at Munger Road. This uh, Gravity Hill is a little bit different than Munger Roads or the one in San Antonio or the ones we've been talking about um, because there are no railroad tracks involved at this location, um, which I am thrilled about because I have developed a quite serious fear of railroad tracks uh, as of making this episode. I'm very happy that I can avoid parking my car on railroad tracks today by myself. Ooh, off-road. Moms of the pod may be upset, and a mom is a spiritual word. You could be any any uh, caregiving type person and be worried about me going out to this gravity hill by myself because it is in the middle of nowhere. Um, there is also an abandoned grain elevator said to be haunted and we're gonna go together. You and me, dear listener, apparently we just got to find this spray painted line on the road that says start, throw this old bitch in neutral, throw this old Subaru into neutral and, um, see 
what the hell happens? I just stopped by the Love's truck stop and got a bottle of baby powder. So we are ready to rock. We'll be sprinkling some of that on the back. We're also gonna check out this haunted grain elevator because story goes that the ghosts of women who were murdered on this very road, potentially at the grain elevator, uh, will be pushing my car out of harm's way, whereas theirs were stalled and they met certain doom. Other stories say that it was a group of school children in a stalled bus, similar to Munger Road, that were hit from behind by a truck, spun off the road, and uh, a bunch of children died that way. We are very close. We are one minute away, and I think I can see the grain elevator in the distance. I have seen absolutely no one, and uh, it's really beautiful. Definitely a good place for an urban legend. Oof. Yeah, there's this big, wooden, decrepit, old grain elevator right here. And uh, we're driving right past it now. I'm gonna get out and take a look. We can't go too close to it because folks live around here and we don't want any trouble. Ooh, you can look inside of it. Ooh, creepy, dude. There's like all these holes inside. I'm gonna turn on the light. Oh, shit. Oh my god, inside, I can see inside of it and it looks like an old frontier building. It's got like seats inside of it. Ooh, can you hear that? Hey. Scary, very scary. Oh, it's did you hear that? Holy shit. I think it was a cow. Moms of the pod are freaking out right now. All right, getting back in the car. We're gonna head over just up the way here to the chalk start sign that somebody, some beautiful legend trippers of the past marked exactly where to start your climb up gravity hill all right so we're coming up on this little thing that says start someone painted an alien there's a bunch of graffiti like dates and names and like rips for people all painted on the on the road here um so now we are going to dust the back of the car with baby powder. Ooh, it's everywhere. All right, looks like it's snowed on the back of this bumper. So now what we're supposed to do is we're gonna put the car in neutral. Here we go, I'm taking my foot off the brake. All right, we're moving forward. Oh my gosh. We're moving forward at about, let's see, we got, we're going about three miles an hour, just being pushed right up this hill. 
Wow. Oh man, we're getting close to the grain elevator now. Oh, it's coming up on the right. We're still going about two miles an hour. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God, it's totally working. And someone wrote prom. Someone asked somebody to prom right there on Gravity Hill. Who knows if they ever made it. Oh, wow. Okay, we've come to a stop directly in front of the abandoned grain elevator. So I think we're gonna get out of here and then we're gonna check the back and we're gonna see if we've got some ghost handprints. Okay, we got the light on. Oh, heck yes. I gotta tell you, there are fingerprints, there are swipes, there are what looks like handprints for sure. I will put up pictures, but uh, ooh, I can see them, they're there. It totally worked. I'm a believer. Okay, I better seriously get out of here now. Moms, moms of the pod, I'm okay. Wow. Now listen, I wrestle with a lot of things while making American hysteria. And one of them is that I hate ruining a perfectly good urban legend. But at this point, most people have a smartphone in their pocket anyway, and they can debunk the lore and the experience with an unfortunate ease. So let's look at the science to try to debunk what happened to me and so many other legend trippers over decades and decades. When it comes to these gravity hills, the mystifying uphill movement is simply an optical illusion. It all has to do with the way the horizon is seen from the location. If it is obstructed in some way, it can change our perception of the angle in front of us, as we don't have the reference point that our brain needs to adjust our understanding of what we are seeing. So when it appears we are moving up an incline, we're actually moving slightly downhill. There was a study on this phenomenon conducted in Italy back in 2003 in which scientists recreated the illusion of a gravity hill and recorded the reactions of a group of participants. And yep, they experienced the same feeling I did at Gravity Hill. And then there is perhaps the most mysterious part of the story those handprints left on the back of participants' cars, including my own. The explanation for this lies in the fact that our hands and fingers are covered in oils that are left behind when we touch objects. These oils are not visible to the naked eye, but appear as if by magic when fine powder or dust is applied to them. It's like a crude version of how criminal investigators dust for fingerprints that they otherwise would be unable to see. 
The child-sized handprints that are often reported are likely due to the fact that we don't always place our entire hand on everything we touch, and partial prints can often look like smaller hands. When it comes to the sites of the actual accidents we covered today, from the 1938 Salt Lake City tragedy to 1995's Fox River Grove crash and all those in between, there are no urban legends told about helpful ghost kids, no magical experience sought out by local teens. This is precisely because there are no gravity hills at these locations, no coincidental optical illusion calling a legend to it like a magnetic pull, something that can combine with a subconscious trauma that lives in the collective national memory. Whenever you ride the bus, whenever you go to school or whatever you do, take a little tip from us and always think safety too, like Winnie the Pooh. It's a little tip that you can trust. Safety is a must. Whenever you ride the bus, the school bus. Whenever you ride the bus, the school bus. Whenever you ride the bus. <laughs> School buses represent so much in our culture. Gentle yellow capsules that ferry our most precious from us and back to us again. But since their creation, families have had to put their kids' safety, their very lives, in the hands of others. And trains, another very potent American symbol, became faster and faster with each passing year, strong enough to decimate almost everything that comes into their path. Most frighteningly, perhaps, is that they cannot stop in time. They are too fast and too large, and it's up to us to get out of the way. When small things go wrong, when the seconds are star-crossed and the conditions perfectly aligned for some otherwise banal moment to turn into a violent tragedy, that is the very stuff that myth arises out of, a terror that sits way down deep inside our subconscious. These helpful ghosts tell us that something is looking out for us, that something wants us to survive, something wants to save us from suffering a similar fate. In a weird way, the teenagers who took part in those mock accidents we talked about today essentially became the dead kids that the legend told about, lending their very bodies to a project meant to save future victims from suffering their mock fate. Though not directly related, while making this episode, I kept thinking about a very close call that happened in my hometown. 
One night, when I was a teenager, I was at a gathering on the hidden train tracks beside the salty swamp of the Puget Sound. At this spot, you could see trains coming from a solid mile away, their lights clear, their whistles loud, nothing to worry about on this warm and easy evening. It got late enough that some of us left to take the long walk home, a copless and jolly night when we were still invincible, certain that we could see it all coming, that we would never be struck by something brutal without warning. But that night, a kid got too drunk and too close to the train. I wasn't there, but I heard about it, the way he swayed into its roaring side, maybe daring death in some show of dumb courage, or maybe just lost in the smoky haze of high school hubris and Mad Dog 2020. I can't say I didn't know him well. But that night, unlike the towns in our stories today, Ours was lucky. The kid shattered every bone in his thigh, was bedbound for weeks, maybe months, but he lived. It felt like a miracle. It might even encourage us to believe that the ghost of some long-dead, unlucky teenager pushed him out of the way before he could meet the same fate his spirit once did. Could there have been someone out there, someone who saved him, someone who pushed him away from certain death? Or was it just the sheer luck of gravity, a teenager testing fate and this time living to tell the tale? This was American Hysteria. If you have an urban legend you'd like us to explore, head to AmericanHysteria.com and leave us a message on our Urban Legends Hotline. Thank you so much to our listener Lauren for sharing your story and to Nick Smith for talking to us about his movie, Munger Road. Make sure you check that out too. If you'd like to get more of our show, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash American Hysteria and get ad-free early episodes as well as bonus content. You'll get access to Hysteria Home Companion, our other podcast that producer Miranda and I create with all the stories that didn't make it into the episodes. That's patreon.com slash American Hysteria. It's a great way to support our show. Another great way to support our show is to leave us a five-star review on the app of your choosing. It really helps us out. American Hysteria is written, produced, and hosted by me, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Our sound designer is Clear Camo Studios. Our research assistant is Riley Swedelius-Smith. And our editor and producer is Miranda Zickler. Thanks, as always, for listening. And stay off the damn train tracks, you crazy kids. No, seriously, moms of the pod agree.
Have a great week.